tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap. Lucky dropped in the thicket. Youngins calling it dumb. Living without a net. Blue-bellied devils. And another Jimmy Dean. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is this is Vinyl Tap, and I'm saving good evening, uh, even though it's about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, because I can't get out of old habits. And one of our old habits is to meet here together and record conversations about fantastic albums. I am joined with our extremely humble producer, Jonathan John Boy Rowe. <laughs> good evening, Tapsters, or afternoon, as it may be. And another good old boy just down the way there. <laughs> Tony? Howdy, Doug. Howdy. Howdy, y'all. Howdy. I As reckon that we'll just get on into this album now. I think Here. that. Yep. Yep. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we thought we'd try to be Southern because tonight we are doing a, a record called Southern Accents. Uh, as you know, we don't have any accents of our own. <laughs> Through this our fine is a education. This yeah. album. Yep. I know many in the... Uh, this is Vinyl Tap Nation are shocked that we are just now getting to Tom Petty. Yep. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm shocked too, but I'm less shocked because I know why we're just now getting to Tom Petty. <laughs> JM? Yes, sir. Why are we just now getting to Tom Petty? Well, there's a secret podcast <laughs> where we actually attempted to do Tom Petty, and it was early, and we just really weren't that enamored with it. And well, we weren't we weren't exactly polished. We weren't polished, then. yeah. Yeah, unless we you call it kind of a practice. Now. Yeah, it, it's like that uh, that episode of Star Trek that that was with the aliens with the fat head and Captain Pike. That's the yeah the the pilot episode. Yeah, and so they had to you know turn it into a a different episode. But yeah, it's kind of like that episode. Well, yeah. they will never see the light of day. So Ex now we have Captain Kurt. And we're not, we're no longer dealing with, uh, we put Captain Pike in his little box with the little <laughs> light that beeps and that's all he can do. <laughs> and we're going to send him on his way. 
J.M. Jonathan Rowe. This uh-huh. is uh, an album that you picked. It is. You picked it a long time ago, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and then you done picked it again. I done picked it again. What is it about this record out of all of the Tom Petty albums? That, yes, I'd like to know yeah. that as well. Yes. I'm curious. I am a, a, a huge Tom Petty fan. I mean, every, from the moment that I heard Tom Petty, I think back in the mid-70s, I was, I was a fan. Uh, I loved American Girl. I loved uh, the whole album. I think Nam the Torpedoes was one of the first. For some reason, I bought the cassette version of that. But I think I, we're saying darn the torpedoes. Darn, oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Family show. Or dang <laughs> the dang. torpedoes. Them dang torpedoes. Um, it, I just, and I loved that album. And uh, I just continued to just really like everything that Tom Petty was doing. When I heard, I bought this album when it came out it's one of the first albums i just bought when it was released and um and when was that that was 1985 march what of 85 march of 1985 and that was a very important time of my life as well that was my senior year of high school and it was the last part of my senior year in high school so i associate this album with a lot of good memories um but I don't think Tom Petty does, but uh, yeah, <laughs> Tom Petty does not associate this album with a lot of good memories. That's true, but I I think this is where Tom Petty is at his most adventurous. I don't think that he's ever done another album where he's quite as adventurous with this. We, with the with the horns, uh, the strings, uh, his use of synthesizers. Um, he, he he's got the the people that he wrote songs with, the people that he was producing with. Um, and I, I don't think he was ever this creative. I don't. I, I get, that's the word that keeps coming back to me. But it, this adventurous in another album. It's, these aren't the strongest nine songs on, in his canon. Um, and I think there are albums that where the songs themselves are better. But there is something about the way that this album is coheres that I just absolutely love. Uh, it's it's the album just fascinates me. Um, it just had there's a life to this album that i find very rare in albums um it's got a ballad it's got which i think is a very strong one uh and i think it's one of the best ballads ever written in rock music uh the up-tempo tunes are, are really lively and and uh the lyrics are poignant, and even the novelty songs i think there i guess there's one novelty song on here but i i even think that one works the last thing I'll say about it is I mentioned that there's different producers. The songs were written at different times. Um, so it's kind of a hodgepodge album, but this it, isn't one of those that's legendary for being completed in 10 days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. This took, this album was a painstaking album to make even mix. It was a painstaking album to mix. Well, yeah. it was what three years from their last, something like I that. Mean, they were on a roll and yeah. then they took, Kind of a three-year highest. For long reasons. after we'll dark talk, was the we'll, one. We'll talk about what the various reasons yeah. that happened, but it was a long, it was a long process. And yeah. Tony, I have a question for you. Sure, Doug. Why didn't you pick this album? Why didn't I pick this album? It's American. Uh, no. 
You really want my answer? No, I just wanted to pick on you a little bit. Um, <laughs> I have a question for you guys. Uh oh. Yeah. Since uh, I, I just think this is an interesting question, since what we're talking about is the album Southern Accents, it, are are Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers a Southern band? They are, and they are. They're a Southern band that sounds like a Southern California band. I think there are Southern elements that that come out. Tom um, Petty's voice sounds Southern frequently. Yeah. Well, I think that when it's not sounding it. like McGuinn or Dylan, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, Ooh, sounds like someone's ready to talk about something. <laughs> no, no, no. I just, I, I don't think of them as a Southern band. I mean, yeah, they're from Gainesville, Florida, but they, they're, fir- they moved to LA before they recorded their first album. I, they are very much, I think, of that birds sort of mm-hmm. Buffalo Springfield yeah. flying burrito Laurel brothers. Canyon, but there's ilk, um, you know. Yeah. Tom Petty doesn't seem. Tom Petty and his band do not seem like those guys at, at all to me. They look, if I think about dropping Tom Pot, Pet, Pet Petty into that Loyal Canyon deal, I think he would not uh, no, I, fit I, at all. Yeah, I don't agree. I don't, I mean, I do agree with you in terms of appearance, but sound wise, they're, they're coming from, uh, I mean, they're not Skinnered. They're not the Almond Brothers. They're coming from this point of view of, um, they're, they're you know, it's essentially the Beatles v- via the California yeah. Beatles movie. Like, like that birds embracing that British invasion sound, but, you know, making it American. That's essentially, you know, and of course, a lot of that has to do with the Rickenbacker. And Tom Petty's voice is very, very, very yeah. reminiscent of, of McGuinn's in a lot of ways. Um, and that's not a bad thing for me. I love it. Yeah. Um, I just I just wondered what you guys thought. You know, in fact... Um, they, uh, I guess early on there was some interest in them from Capricorn Records, maybe. I don't remember, but they uh, they were told they were too English sounding for that label. <laughs> so, that, I mean, I, I, I just don't think they sound English. I, no, I don't think they Well, are. you got to think about. Uh, I agree with you. They're yeah. very American. It's a very American you band. You can't get but, more American, but, I think, than But, you, but think about in terms of, you know, that that kind of southern rock stuff. I mean, they're definitely British sounding compared to that. If you want to call no, it I, that, there's there's a lot of jangle in what they're do. not uh, Molly yeah. Hatchet. No, they're not Molly Hatchet. Anyway, I was just curious what you guys. Or Thirty Eight Special. That. You know, there's just a a. If you're waiting for us to cover Molly Hatchet or Thirty Eight Special, <laughs> uh, we will not live that long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they came like you said. They came from Gainesville, Florida, and they even it's kind of odd because. Didn't Don Felder teach Mike Campbell and or or Tom? He, was taught, it Tom? he taught he taught Tom Petty how to play guitar, and yeah. and Tom Leiden, Bernie Leiden's brother, was in his first band, That's right. the Epics. That's right, because uh, Petty was a bass player. Yeah, for those who don't know, Don Felder and uh, Bernie Leiden were the founders or helped found the Eagles with Don Henley and Glenn Fry. Yeah, um, what now? Tom Petty is one of the musicians. We've talked about a few of these. Uh, I remember Springsteen was one. But he's one of these guys that there was no question what he was going to do for a living when he grew up. Yeah. He never had this backup plan or he wasn't stumbling around trying to figure out what he wanted to do. Yeah. It's just about as soon as he could possibly start uh, playing with a band, he was in one. Yeah. The story of this band is is pretty compelling. The story of Tom Petty is pretty compelling. He grew up in Gainesville. He really was not did not have the best 
childhood in the world. He didn't really, he, he didn't grow up very wealthy, has, did not have a good relationship with his father. Um, it's kind of the same stories we've talked about yeah. before where there's, you know, this guy who just, you know, we, we don't talk a lot about guys that have come from good upbringings, you know, Rod Stewart might be an exception, but yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, to, you know, add fuel to the fire, like I said, his first real job in the band was a bass player. So that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I stole your you thunder. About, uh, yeah. Sorry, I, Doug. I stole your well, thunder. I mean, yeah. it's, he's, he, that's almost as debilitating as having a bad father. But yeah, like I mentioned, his first band was this band called the Epics. And so, like I said, Petty played bass, Tom Leiden, Bernie Leiden's brother, uh, sang and played guitar. There's a guy named Jim Lanahan who was this lead vocalist, and this guy named Randall Marsh um, was also in the band. Randall Marsh brought Mike Campbell in. He knew Mike Campbell, brought him in, um, and the the eventually that band kind of morphed into what became known as Mud Crunch, yeah, which was his first real band with any success. and Lanahan um, leave the band. This guy named Dan Danny Roberts takes over on bass, and Betty, uh, Petty at that point takes over on vocals, becomes yeah. lead singer. And they also add Ben, ben Montench. Right. And he's a pretty interesting guy. He came, He was not cut of the same cloth as the rest of those guys. He was a privileged kid, took piano lessons. Uh, his He was educated in a prep school. Um so he had his his dad kind of had his his dad was a judge is that right and I think so yeah you know what i like about him is he um he is as honest as he can be in interviews that guy yeah. doesn't hold anything back he when he's not, talking about yeah. the history of this band yeah he's <laughs> great. you know most of them are that way in these interviews yeah yeah uh which makes me think that this band is it was probably pretty democratic they, well, I Despite think so. the fact that Tom Petty said it wasn't. Yeah. I, I think so, and I think that's part of the thing that rubbed the guys the wrong way when they got around to recording this album, which we'll get to, because there's a whole lot of people he's bringing into this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I think, uh, above all, Mike Campbell really got his got his feelings hurt with a lot of stuff that Petty was doing at the time. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so going, going wait, back. Wait, wait, I hear something. We have all been here before. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, every time we get into one of these albums, we are confronted with our history. And we've got some history that we will be repeating tonight. Can anybody tell me? A connection with the previous podcast, the previous artist we've done. I, I've got a couple. I want to save my my one that you guys won't know. Okay, last, well, give us one we will know. Uh, you jam, you go, go first. Jimmy Iovine. He produced a lot of Tom Petty albums. Um, his probably is what many consider his best album, "Damn the Torpedoes," and he has worked with Bruce Springsteen, who we've talked about before, and probably most famously, he did. The Dire Straits album, 
uh, making movies. Which we was we, one of our earliest. One of our earliest. earliest picks, and yeah. I don't know why that's more famous than Springsteen. But <laughs> all right. Okay, I will, well, uh, well, he did all the production. I don't think Iovine, what, produced okay. some Springsteen. Uh I'll talk about yeah, he didn't produce the album we talked the Springsteen album we talked about. Right. Um okay, Jack Nietzsche, who does the strings on this album. Did the strings for uh Harvest, Neil Moon. Harvest Moon. And he produced Squeezing Out Sparks. That's correct. Which is the Graham Parker album we talked about. Very good. Mm-hmm. Uh any any others? Sure. Yes. M- Mud Crunch recorded for Leon Russell's label. Ah. Which was also the label that um, Will Salem Ramsey recorded for, That's right? That's right. And we talked about him on the and uh, he their original producer was Dennis Cordell or Denny Cordell, mm-hmm. who uh, produced uh, the Will Salem Ramsey album. Uh, how about this? Do you know who they opened for one time on their first American tour in 1976 in in Philly, I think, or somewhere in Pennsylvania. Elton John. Rush. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One time they opened for Rush. And let's wow. just say that, that was, was the first time they played for an all-male audience. <laughs> uh, let's just say that was likely a very big mismatch because in 76, it was either, uh, it was either, it was probably Caressa Steel or 2112. So they were in their metal, pro, their prog metal oh, phase. Boy, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and they were doing the first well. Tom Petty and yeah. the Heartbreaks album. And, yeah. and that would have been something else. <laughs> That's very interesting. I've, I've got a question for you guys. We did a band that was uh, a full of great guitar players. Uh, can anyone think of a connection with a Tom Petty guitar player? And Fleetwood Mac? There we go. Ding, 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 ding. We have a winner. You're talking about Stevie Nicks? As as guitar players kept dropping out of Fleetwood Mac's history, uh, Mike Campbell, Tom Petty's guitar player, was able to step in on the last tour and play guitar for them. Okay, I didn't know that. And, of course, Stevie Nicks and uh, Tom Petty had a big hit together. Mm -hmm. She actually wanted to be a member of the Heartbreakers at one point. Thank God that didn't happen. Which I don't... (laughs) I don't think there's room for Stevie to be a member of any band no, anymore. Yeah, no. uh, I think she just got too too big she, for that. She got too enchanted with herself, so to speak. So yeah, Mud Crunch uh, goes out to L.A. Yeah, to record. They do. And, and, yeah, seventy four. They, they signed a deal with Shelter Records, right? And they go out to uh, L.A. to record the album. Uh, they spend I don't know a couple of weeks out there, mm-hmm. and they were they weren't sure how well the recording session went, and so they started driving back to Florida. Uh-huh. And this is where things get kind of interesting. They were requested to go by Leon Russell's studio, the one in, in Tulsa, the one in Tulsa, right? And that's where Denny Cordell was. And he was really, really wanted to produce them. Uh, and so they actually wound up cutting some tracks there. Don't you feel like crying? Don't you feel like crying? Come on, baby. Cry to me. Anyway, uh, during this time, uh, Randall Marsh ends up quitting the band 
and that is kind of signals the end of Mud Crunch. Yeah. So Petty is still under contract with Shelter Records, and he thought, you know what? I think I'll I'll go it solo. And he thought, yeah, I'm going to bring Mike Campbell on because those two guys, yeah, they're instantly and always have had a really amazing chemistry with each other. Yeah. Um, Benmont Tench formed a band with Ron Blair on bass and Stan Lynch on drums. Petty ends up really liking the way they sound, and the two groups or whatever divergent whatever get together and they end up becoming tom petty and the heartbreakers, heartbreakers. yep right just tom petty had a radio show for a long time on sirius x that was radio. fantastic it was it great was wonderful and you can uh, still he hear it there, what was the recording studios by the airport or whatever he was uh oh yeah it was it, it was funny and it was informative and it was a lot of good music and he played a lot of mud crunch on that um radio show i remember enjoying yep. that yeah i you know, I know that uh, Doug and I have a kind of an ongoing kind of funny tit for tat about British fans versus American fans. But I just want to say, going from this first Tom Petty album that was released in 76, they ignored it over here and they loved it over there. <laughs> Yeah, so, when they're, they're, the there's a concert that was filmed right after this album, uh, the first album was made, you know, and you can just see how skinny Tom Petty was and everything. But it, it's, um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. It, but yeah, it, they were it, much bigger over it there. It hit number 24 on the UK charts. And then about a year later, it hit number five in the US. I'm yeah. 55. Well, I'm, I'm, sorry, sorry, number 55 in the US. Wow. I'm particularly partial to Canadian fans. I, I thought I had made that uh, clear. <laughs> Um, but that first album is fantastic. It is. It's a great album. It's a, it's and it, you know, American girl alone is, is, uh, worth the price of it. I mean, I, well, that's, that was, that's as fine a guitar. And that's a song that oddly enough, oh, probably everybody knows, but it was not, I mean, it's in terms of charting single, it's not chart. that big a deal. Breakdown yeah. was the lead single released yeah. in the States Yeah, and it cracked the top 40, but it didn't do a whole lot either. Yeah. Um, you know, the album eventually you know, sells over 500,000 copies in the U S. Um, mm -hmm. and it, I think a lot of that has to do with American girl, even though it didn't, it yeah. wasn't the hit it was. I mean, yeah. people it's, it's an instantly to quote Doug, it's an instantly accessible song. That song. Yeah. It's, it's so, so good. And there's a, a video I just discovered in doing research for this uh, album that, by where Mike Campbell takes you through the history of, or, or the, the recording process of that song. Um, it's, it actually has a synthesizer in it and you, you don't that you don't you think I always thought it was a bass but it's a synthesizer um, of course he thought it was a bass <laughs> uh, but anyway it's pretty fascinating that that album it, you, the one thing I will say about this other than American Girl I hope there's a remastered version of it so that that album kind of suffers it it's a little muddy it suffers a little bit um, from from the production of, but still, yeah, you could tell this guy was destined for greatness. I had, I had trouble with Tom Petty when I first started listening to him, and it was some of the trouble we started with. I didn't know where he went. Uh, you look at the cover of "Damn the Torpedoes." It looks like it's going to be sort of uh, that post punk 
that sound. That's what they were trying to. They were trying to put him in the new wave sound. I mean, he he, he was he was yeah. When he went over to the UK, he ended up buddying up with Costello and Elvis Costello. Yeah, and he would oh. wear these like uh, tight shirts, long sleeve shirts with a well, scarf around or like a it's little really not ribbon that around his dissimilar. neck. Similar. Really not that dissimilar to that hearkening back to a band hearkening back to that kind of '60s rock yeah. and roll sound. I mean, that's what they the Heartbreakers were embracing. So yeah. it's not surprising that they tried to market him that way, even but the, though. But the uh, I mean, the, the rhythm and everything is completely wrong. Right. Uh, that it didn't have any of that jerkiness that you get from. Uh, <laughs> right. Oh, you're right. Like you're the right. Knack or uh, and and then that that. The sound reminded me of all that what they they now call uh, I can't stand it, but the Heartland Rock sound that you have with uh, you know like uh, Springsteen Seeger and John Cougar and all that. It had some of that, but it didn't fit into there uh, very well either. It's much and too jangly. Yeah, it is, and it's um, his voice is wrong for that kind also. Yeah. So I I never knew what to do with them when damn the poor torpedoes came out uh, anybody think of anything ironic about the title damn the torpedoes no no that's a union uh naval officer ah. that said that <laughs> <laughs> well we'll get to damn the per- torpedoes in a minute but i just i think yeah. we we still got a little bit of interesting stuff to talk about before we get there um so the uh the second album, you're going to get it. It's released in 78. Uh, it's the band's first top 40 album. Peaked at number 23 on the Billboard Top LPs and Tapes chart. It's got, you know, the single, or I, I Need to Know. Which peaked at number 41. And listen to listen to her heart. There's a funny. You guys know the story about that song. What inspired that song? No. So, not long after Petty and his wife moved to L.A., she's at a party at Ike Turner's house. Oh, I do know this. Oh, I do know this story. Yeah. And he ends up not only hitting on her, but he locks the door so nobody can leave the party. (laughs) (laughs) So that inspired Petty to write this song uh, kind of about that in a a very veiled way. The other kind of funny thing about the song is it mentions cocaine in it, and the label wanted him to change it to champagne. And he, this is one of the first, like, no. He's famous for no's, right? And he says to the label, no, I'm not going to do that. And so there's some speculation that that got it limited play, but I mean, didn't Clapton have a song called Cocaine? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was all over the radio, so I don't know if By that's J. true. By J.J. Kale, yeah. J.J. You know, um, Kale number. <laughs> yeah. But what's interesting about this is it's after this album that Petty realizes 
because Shelter's sold to MCA. Right. Shelter, the label Shelter's sold to MCA. And he realizes he was already really unhappy with his contract because he got screwed out of the, out of the um, publishing rights. And he, according to him, the label was making about 10 times what he was making off of the, off of his own songs. So he decides he's going to take the opportunity of them selling MC or uh, Shelter to MCA to basically say, I'm a free agent now. And he, because the, the, his contract said that, it, that Shelter had to notify him before they sold his contract to somebody else and they didn't, he decides that he is, um, that it's a breach of contract and he's not going to continue. MCA and Shelter turn around and sue him for the same thing, breach of contract. He refuses the out for, for the uh, next album to be released. In fact, he ends up, um, financing himself and going into debt for what, like a half a million dollars yeah, or something some like that. Unbelievable and, and decides he's going to declare bankruptcy because he has all this debt. And, and by doing so, yeah, because by doing so it's going to, the court bankruptcy court would have to readjust all of his business arrangements, including that recording contract. This worked in MCA. Eventually, uh, they couldn't risk losing him. So they, they <laughs> offered him a deal. Yeah. Well, and um, I, I believe they were scared uh, well, they, of the other artists doing the thing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Declaring bankruptcy looked like a pretty good way to go if yeah. you were one of these rock guys Yeah, a bad so, contract. So they end up giving him a $3 million guarantee. They give him back his publishing rights. Amazing. I think they signed him to a label that was kind of set up just for him. Yeah, Backstreet. Yeah, and uh, and he ends up continuing on with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the big one you were just talking about, Doug, Damn the Torpedoes, comes out in 79, which was a huge... Their first top ten album, number two for seven weeks. Wow! Um, what was it keeping it from number one? Did you uh, that out? Yeah, Pink Floyd's The Wall. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was seventy nine, yeah, late seventy nine. If you think we should yeah. cover Pink Floyd's Wall, please email Tony. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it went platinum and then ended up being triple platinum. I mean, this is a monster album. Um, yeah. it, you know, it's got singles everybody knows. It's got "Don't Do Me Like That," "Here Comes My Girl," "Even the Losers," "Refugee," all you know, huge radio hits. Yeah. Um, it's wonderful. And it's the one. I, that, even the losers was one of my favorite yeah, songs. Yeah, I couldn't relate to it whatsoever. I, <laughs> Just I think here come. I remember the first time I heard "Here Comes, here comes My, my girl. girl." I yeah. just—it's so melted. good. It's such a great song. Oh, it is. It's perfect for what they do too. Yeah, it's very. He has so many songs that are so different than anybody's ever done before. Yeah. And well, it's so weird. It starts on the four and then it goes to the A, but it's droning that E through the whole thing. And uh, I mean, there's, there just weren't songs like that. That was a, actually a Mike Campbell creation, by the way. Well, well he's, he's a made, hit. He's, he's a hit machine. Some, uh, yeah, he, Mike he's Campbell. He's written some good songs. He yeah. has. He did, what is that? The Boys uh, of Summer. Boys of Summer. Yeah, it yeah. was a huge. Yeah, we'll, hit we'll, for him. we'll talk about that a little bit too yeah. when it comes up. But uh, so in between. Damn the Torpedoes and Hard Promises, they end up uh, doing a concert um, at the Musicians United for Safe Energy 
in Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. And the, the, their rendition of Cry to Me ends up on the No Nukes album. So they're on a No Nukes album. I forgot yeah, he I forgot. was on there. Yeah. And then Hard Promises is released in 81, reaches number five on its way to going platinum. Contained that the, was another uh, fight with the record company. Yeah, yeah no, he, it was because the pricing controversy. He didn't. The, he wanted it to be seven ninety nine. No, no, no. The, I think that eight ninety eight was the typical price for an album, and they wanted to raise it a buck to nine ninety eight. <laughs> and he refused to release <laughs> the album. He said, "I, I'm not going to do it." And he won again. Yeah, and they ended up releasing it. Well, didn't he price. even uh, require that the album cover have eight ninety eight? Stamp probably into it. Yeah. yeah i think so well and it uh it, the album covers a picture of him in a record store it is. yeah yeah You know, the other interesting thing about that album was they were recording it at the same time Lennon was supposed to come into the studio. John Lennon was supposed oh, to really? come into the studio. And he was really excited about meeting him. He gets killed before, Lennon gets killed before he meets him. Yeah. So in the early pressings, U.S. and Canadian pressings of that album, on the uh, on the um, runout groove is etched, We Love You, J.L. Oh, really? Yeah. So wow. It's kind Very of an nice. interesting thing. Yeah. And this also contains the first duet with Stevie Nicks. Which is... Was it Insider? Insider. Yeah. My God, that is that's one of my favorite Tom Petty songs. Also has the line that that's where the hard promises line yeah. comes from. Uh, it's a great song. I mean, it's a great album. It's one of, and it's got one of my favorite Tom Petty songs, "Something Big." On us, just I think that's a fantastic. I song. love the waiting. Yeah, well, yeah the waiting. The waiting. That was the King's Road. I'm gonna say more about King's Road later when we get into the album. Yeah, but um, and then another. I mean, it's like the, this band can't can't catch a break right ron blair leaves or bassist right. leaves they end up replacing him with howie epstein who yeah he um, and there's always was he fired was he he let they, but when I, and you look at the uh peter bogdanovich documentary that they made he made ron blair and tom petty both just say we were just both we were just i was just done yeah he quit he, and, he, he plays with them Later a bit, right? Yeah, he's na- he was the bass player after uh, Howie Epstein. I mean, before even Howie Epstein died, he was the bass player. So, yeah, so it was, uh, the, the Ep- Epstein joins... Uh, well, there's a funny video. There, they show it on that Bogdanovich documentary where Tom Petty's... They're asking him about Ron Blair's departure in an interview that was filmed. He goes, yeah, Ron just has to go off and do some stuff. And he did. I think he went into real estate and did pretty, was pretty successful in real estate. And then, but he said, you know, maybe Ron will come back, you know, like 2000 or so, which is almost exactly when Ron Blair yeah, came back. Yeah, because the lineup was pretty solid yeah. until what, 94? Yeah. So, and and the, the drummer kept getting fired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, which yeah, Jimmy Iovine did not like him. Combusting. Jimmy really? Iovine and uh, Stan Lynch famously did not get along. Um, and he was just, he's a hyper dude. 
But yeah, he and he was, as Tom Petty said, uh, Stan Lynch did everything he possibly could to have been fired. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So yeah, just just we're we're getting there. So we talked about the the next album, which is Long After Dark, which was released in '82. Did you know the song Change of Heart, which is on that album, was inspired by Do You by The Move and ELO? I did not know that. Yeah. Well, actually, I did, but I just learned it. <laughs> <laughs> That brings us pretty much up to the three-year hiatus in between Long After Dark and Southern Accents. And we talked a little bit about kind of what was the impetus. You mentioned the Robbie Robertson thing being, you know, working on that song. But also, when Petty was traveling around on the tour bus for the Long After Dark tour, when they were going through the South, he said something in him just kind of stirred, you know, memories. He was looking out the window and yeah. places and images started. And he started writing down words and he thought about this concept of doing this album based on just this idea of, of what it meant to be Southern or grow up Southern. Right. And he throws in Randy Newman's good old boys, um, which I find interesting because the songs on Southern accents that stick to that, are theme, yeah. significantly more sympathetic than Randy. New- Randy Newman's too cynical to right. be as sympathetic as Petty is on yeah, these songs. Right. I think. Well, and he's not a Southerner. No. Uh, I mean, I know he. What did he spend summers in New Orleans? Yeah, or something, he did. But yeah, uh, he was born and raised in the South. I, I can tell you this. Uh, he was never asked to play Lucky on uh, King of the Hill. <laughs> <laughs> Which Tom Petty absolutely forgot about that. I don't think anyone had to explain to him the part he was playing. I forgot about that. I know that guy. (laughs) Yeah, everybody knows that guy. So then we get to this, and there's a you know, JM, you mentioned a bit about kind of you you use the term adventurous, which I think is apt, but it's also I think this album's fairly schizophrenic, and a lot of that has to do with what happened in those three years. Yeah, it was a bizarre three years. Um he was writing various songs, trying to record them, and he was getting really frustrated with the the recording process. Well, didn't he start? Didn't this start off as a solo project? I mean, he initially envisioned this as this wasn't going to be a Heartbreakers record; it was going to be a Tom Petty record. Yeah, he and it was going to be a double to album. Be a too. lot of right. that, not yeah. just on this album. That seems to be he stuck between the solo thing and the band all the time. Yeah. He was writing some with with uh, Mike Campbell, but he was, yeah, just tr- he was he really was kind of sc- he didn't know what he was going to do. But there was also some stuff going on with the band that was well, made they were, it more difficult. They were going out and playing with everybody and their brother. Right? They were they Ben Montench was yeah. playing with Stevie Nicks yeah. and was uh, you know Howie Epstein was working with. Um, Various people, including John Prine, and this album didn't 
it didn't have a uh, it didn't have any controls on it. They were outside the studio. They were yeah, in the home studio. They were in yeah. So Petty they, had Petty had uh, basically built this studio and yeah, they didn't Gator have a problem me. with uh, uh, counting hours in yeah. the studio. And, they and didn't it, have a project manager. They didn't. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, it ended up being party central. There's yeah. a great quote Petty has about this. He says when somebody asked him about Southern accents in an interview, he said. When I hear that album, I can taste the cocaine in the back of my yeah. <laughs> That's And that's pretty much what it was. I mean, Benmont at the time was not in good shape. He, he was right. kind of the first guy to kind of give in to the, the well, drug. Well, and you know what started that, according to him, what? touring with Stevie Nicks. Yeah. He's like, I didn't realize it, but he says, I didn't realize how much cocaine there was in the world until I went out on the road with Stevie Nicks. And that's when I realized how much cocaine was in the world. <laughs> So yeah, they, the band was not cohesive at this time, and unfortunately, that that kind of is the rest of the history with this band. Right? They're, 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 this was the first time where the band was starting to become frayed, and you know, they 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 weren't together as often as I mean, they used to be all crowded in a van driving around, and now they were you know the real world creeps in real world, or the yeah, real rock and roll world. Well, that's what in, they said. They like know? reading reading Petty talk about this album. It's like we had been kids the whole time, and and now we were in our thirties, but we were still got, living this lifestyle yeah. like we were kids, and all of a sudden, like my wife has grown. Uh, yeah. She's raising kids mike campbell's married can you imagine having yeah. a family in a house and having all that craziness happening in the yeah. house it was it was a stu- in the basement is that where the studio yeah. was or, yeah. so all that craziness is happening while your wife is trying to, to keep things yeah. under ra- or under under yeah. control well, um, what do you think's going on just the other side of these doors yeah. here i hear you <laughs> while, while we're in here in this crazy party well, house so i, I doug i don't want to i don't want to gloss over what you said i think that i mean it is fundamentally clear that this uh, this idea of not having somebody in a being a in a studio and not having somebody controlling this was a horrible idea yeah they that, i guess petty initially said i don't want a producer on this and the rest of the band's like i all right let's do it Party. Yeah. and it was a it, it was, was a, crazy yeah. i think it shows up on the album but i think it does it, too the thing doesn't stick together very well you can tell this uh, this is of all the albums we've done i think this is the one where they're trying for a concept and they can't keep it they can't keep it on track right um which i I don't think that uh should prevent anybody from enjoying this but well uh it it it's evident when you're listening to it the the big the big british elephant in the room that kind of started derailing the process is dave stewart from the eurythmics yep I mean, he once he gets involved in this and Petty. I mean, there's a story. I don't remember. I, I've read so many different books leading up to this, trying to do research. I don't remember where where I saw it, but there's a story about Mike Campbell kind of following Petty to a studio where he and Dave, Dave Stewart are working on a song, and he realizes Petty sneak. It like Petty, he went Petty's, to his house, and yeah. Petty said he had to do something, and he realized that there was something funny going on because he the way he was talking didn't seem right. So he follows him, and he realizes he's essentially 
cheating on his rock and roll <laughs> his, his significant writer. other, right. you know? Yeah. Um, with with Dave Stewart. I I don't know who Dave Stewart is. Uh what does he have to what I, claim to fame does he have? Well, that's because he wasn't listening to me when I said yeah. Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics, but that's oh, okay. You already said that. <laughs> <I> did. <laughs> yeah, Dave Stewart w- formed a band with Annie Lennox called the Eurythmics, and they had quite a few hits. And at the time, Dave Stewart was kind of the the hit-making machine. Uh, he, a lot of people were cert, uh, seeking out his services. Well, what what he kind of got into the scene because... Uh, Jimmy Iovine asked Tom Petty for songs for Stevie Nicks, the Stevie Nicks album he was producing, and yeah. Petty didn't have any. He said, but I heard this knockout song by this band called The Eurythmics. You need to get Dave Stewart over here working on it. And yeah. he did. And then Dave Stewart found that out. And so he calls up Petty and says, hey, I want to thank you. And the two of them get together. And it's kind of like... Uh, yeah, we'll get to that story when we get to that it's song. It's so funny oh, that yeah. he jumps in on this album because... Yeah. It's so urbane and European, and here we are trying to be <laughs> Southern accents. Yeah, it, yeah. it's a. Uh, I think it's a poor fit for where they were trying to go. I think they made some interesting sounds. Um, yeah. It does complicate it, it, this effort. It does complicate it, and it is it it complicates um, anybody who does any dig deep digging into it. It complicates kind of at least from my point of view. My feelings about the album, especially when you look at the songs that were were not put on here in in lieu of the songs that he and Dave Stewart wrote together that were more part of that concept and you and and I think fit better in a way in terms of that it would have been a more cohesive album um yeah. anyway it's just it's it's it, it i think it compl- complicates the listener things for the listener as well all right, so we're going to start this uh southern album with a southern anthem called rebels Okay, well, have to it, react now. It's a great uh, beginning to this album. It's a fantastic beginning to this yeah. album. This song is great. It is a fantastic song, and this is the song that where Tom Petty broke his yeah, hand. So I need some. I need one of you guys to explain this to me better because listening to this song, it sounds so heartbreakersy for lack of it does term. it does i don't understand what is for i don't i mean who knows it may be a cocaine fueled well, we uh, frustration we, we but, haven't heard what made him mad have we no he said he just he he, he could, it didn't sound as good as a demo yeah what was in his head they couldn't get out and he still says he's not happy with this song oh i didn't know he still was yeah happy. well he said that uh the way that they recorded it was without they were they were just recording it in a different way, and he finally went back and he said, "What is this song? What it need?" And he went back and listened to the the original, like the one he put on the on demo. The demo. And he had a twelve string guitar on it. He said, "Damn it, that's what it is. Oh, we really? got that twelve string guitar on it." So yeah, but he was, more that's a that's yeah. a really funny thing for him to forget. Yeah. Well, he even he he blows <laughs> off his break in his hand too. He says it was it wasn't intentional. He backhanded the wall, but he shattered his hand. He shattered his hand, and it was yeah. it was 
it was I mean, questionable he whether he would be right. able to ever play the guitar again. I remember when that happened. They were they were talking about is he ever going to be able to play? I think it was on Rolling Stone. Like was it his right hand? No, it was his left. His left. And you really? know what? You know what he says? Um, what he says about that as well? Again, putting is he a right handed. He's right-handed. Yeah. Putting a positive spin on things, he said that it was actually a good thing because it allowed him to get out of his head with the album yeah. and take some time with what he was doing yeah. and realize, like, take a little bit of, like, put things in perspective, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I It's hard to hear this song and how much it sounds like a Heartbreaker song to figure I know. out what the yeah. heck he was so upset about. Well, then there was the, the but this is the, First, when the horns come in, that kind of clarion thing that it with the uh, the, the the trumpet. That sounds very beatly to me. It, it I, does. I I think that is such a poor fit. I agree with it. you. I agree I, with you. I felt like I was listening to Handel's Water Music or something. It, really, I, I love said, what, that. What is that? No, Why I think that? I listen. I it's not enough. That. It's not enough for me to give the song bad marks, but it no. does pull me out of the song every time I, I hear I, it. I think it makes. That little break I would take out. It this song do. starts with no. so much energy. But that song he said he sees him as the, the character sees himself as a rebel. And what do you got when you're when you're going into battle with it? You've got you got that guy playing that bugle thing. Yeah, you're to talking me. about um, a different type of sound though. This is right. this oh. is not um, I, Marshall. This is so water music. Let, let, real quick to it's, it's talk a, yeah, to talk about the character in this song because I think it's important in what I was talking we about. Did dating Lou Ann? Yeah, I get, uh, so I see what you're saying. So Petty's character is this character. Yeah. Well, not exactly. Um, no. Well, he I does think, have grandiose I, I ideas about himself. To, fair to Lucky. We always have kind of a, a, a character in a lot of our the lot of the albums that we've picked. I mean, even the Nilsson album had kind of a character in it. Randy Newman album had a character in it. The ELO album had a character in it. And I think that's this is a kind of a an ongoing deal. Like this is a a, a guy from the South who is fancies himself some sort of you know, harken back to the old days, and well, I, yeah, I, is it so much that as much as you're just when you're when you're brought up in the South, you're kind of part of this tradition that says this is the way it's always been, yeah. this is the way it's supposed to be, the way it's always been. We got our pride. I mean, in terms of Southern, the one thing about Southernness is, I think for the most part, uh, th- there's this, gen- and this is an overgeneralization, but yeah. there's this feeling of you know, against just change. You don't like change. There's something about, and there's a lot of well, things it's, about the South that have changed for the better, but there's also things that haven't. Right. But there's this idea that you just push up against anything that's telling you right. how you're supposed to live and what you're supposed you know. Well, I think um, it's like we that, see it. It's kind of coming. what happens to people when they're occupied. Yeah, exactly. That that's what I was about to say. It, it's like it's, it's left over from, we. there's a lot of people that still have that, like we got occupied by the North, they were telling us what to do, and damn it, we're not. That's not who we are. And I, you know what my grandfather used to say? What's that? I was sixteen before I knew "damn Yankee" was two words. <laughs> that's not true, ladies and gentlemen. He was a highly educated uh, attorney and judge. Wow. Um, <laughs> his class at UT Law School, by the way. But <laughs> this is sort of that same. I don't know. It's a younger version, I think, of that character from that Marie uh, in Marie from the yeah. from the um, yeah, Good exactly. Old Boys yeah. album. Yeah. You know, this guy who's drunk and he's and he's trying to 
talk about he's the guy riding around in the pickup truck yeah. with the roll bar and the <clears throat> lights on the top yeah. of it and uh you know going mud and i mean this is a younger version of that guy yeah the other um, the younger the older guy is the one who's sitting around drinking bourbon by yeah. a swimming pool yeah. that needs to be cleaned and yeah. well, well this guy's a loser and yeah part of but he doesn't understand that well <laughs> yeah, part doesn't. of being a loser is if you have a problem, it came from somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. And right. then you find something. Well, I may not be successful, but at least I. And so his, but at least I. Yeah. Is, at least I'm Southern Rebel. I mean, these are my people. This is how we do it. Uh, you know, you can find the same thing. Like, uh, well, at least my football team wins. I mean, it's yeah. just. Yeah. Yeah. He's grabbing onto something. And it breaks this song. Uh, tears me apart because i love this it's song. an anthem and i want to reuse it for something else <laughs> that's not the uh, 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 not a drunk well, getting pulled out of the i want to use it like grandmother's putting uh sunflower seeds in the pockets of russians <laughs> right before the ukrainians yeah. come in singing this song and kill all of them yeah. it's I want to use it for the Alamo and Travis on the yeah. North Wall. Yeah. And then here it is. It's this wonderful, powerful anthem about a guy that just can't uh, push himself away from the table when he needs to. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, Petty, just going back to the whole um, talking about the Occupy and the, and the Confederate infantry. So when he played the song live, he used the he used the battle flag, the Confederate battle flag. Yeah, and you know at the time he would he drop was saying, down. I saw. Yeah, it. at the yeah. time he was saying I was just using it to k- inform his character. I wasn't making any sort of political statement about it. Now, yeah, of course, but, he catches hell. Yeah. yeah, well, and one thing that's interesting is REM. Uh, Mike Mills of REM publicly berates him in an in a in an interview or something like that, and. Uh, and Petty takes offense to that. He's like, who the hell is this guy to be telling me, you know, yeah. that's he's where like, he should have broke his hand on his he's face. Like, <laughs> he's like, listen here, we're all, we all, we're all guitar players. We're all riding out in the bus. You don't publicly talk about somebody yeah. like that. That's, that's bad. You're form, him essentially. But, so I, but, but what he said about it was, and this is why I love this guy. He said it made him step back and think about it. I mean, he didn't like Mike Mills calling him out, but he also said, you know what? He had a point. And yeah. guys started showing up to his concerts and throwing rebel paraphernalia right. I know. On, and, on the on the stage. And he's like, that's not what this is about, guys. Yeah. That's not what I'm trying to talk about. And he stopped using the flag after that. Well, see, that's this this song, 1985, I was 18 years old. This line stood out to me. Even before my father's father, they called us all rebels while they burned our cornfields and left our cities leveled. And I was just like... Yeah, I would have been one of those guys throwing the the Confederate flag on the stage. But, you know, now that I'm, you know, removed from that, it started what this song is actually about is starting to make sense. Yeah. And and I was like, it's like born in the USA. Right. It's like, (laughs) oh, my God, exactly. I am that. And then it was like this. Oh, I got to look at myself. Yeah, this is not that. Then that's (laughs) the point. This this isn't about this isn't like lionizing that mentality. This is the one that got me to quit drinking castle beer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, something to be said again about his kind of disapproval of this song overall it's odd i mean i know it was a, it was the single or the the first was it the first single or was no it the don't next come one? around here well he one. ends up 
he ends up playing it when he plays Live Aid. This is one of the four songs he plays. He plays um, American Girl, The Waiting, Rebel, and Refugee. Those are the four songs he plays. Oh. So that says something, I think, about the strength of this song. Oh, it's a great song. You it know? is a fantastic song. And the fact that I can, you know, 37 years later, look back on it going, wow, I was an idiot when I first time I heard this. It, I did treat it as an anthem. Well, but- I, I mean, I just can imagine teenagers in the back of their pickups with their fists in the air and a beer yeah. in the other hand shouting this out at the top of their lungs not realizing that it's making fun of their four years from now selves yeah yeah yep. yep anyway it's it's um it's one of the most effective uses of the heartbreakers i can think of in any of his albums and i want to point out something that i've always noticed about tom petty and always loved about tom petty it's the organ. Uh, uh, this he knows God. what it's for, yeah. and That's nobody been, uh, uses it to greater effect. But uh, if if you listen, that I, I think about it as when a cartoonist is drawing someone that's running or moving in a car, they always put the little dashes behind it so that the, the person watching it can see all oh, that person's emotion. To me, that's what the organ does to rock and roll when it's used correctly. Everything's suspended in motion, and it's held there by that organ. Why other albums are are, are, other albums, other instruments are going up and down. Uh, That holds steady, and it it pulls everything through and adds momentum. And in this song, uh, that there's another song on this album, and they they do the same thing, even to greater effect. But. I've always loved the organ in Tom Petty's yeah, music. And he, I mean, Springsteen has it. A lot of other people use it, but I don't think anyone ever uses it as well as he does. I agree. I think it'd be interesting to listen to his uh, some of his better uh, songs without the organ and see what happens, see what it sounds like without the album. I mean, without the organ. But the I keep saying album no matter what tonight. <clears throat> the other thing that's interesting is the way... Mike Campbell and Tom Petty play together. Yeah, it sounds like one instrument yeah, most does. of the time. Most of the time, and until the solo happens. Mike yeah. Mike Campbell is, in my mind, one of the best lead guitar players in in the world he, because yeah. he never gets in the way. Of I was just going to say right? he seems to. If I were to pick a guitarist that epitomizes what you what Doug Cooper wants a guitarist to do, it would be Mike Campbell. <laughs> yeah, he's he's. You can when he, he does jump one. in, when he's through playing on his little, you're going no, no more, do more. <laughs> you never are through with him. Before I just want to keep talking about this so we don't have to move on to the next song. But <laughs> <laughs> it ain't nothing to me. We got a man on the moon. Perfect title for Tony. <laughs> that's, a, that's a ain't nothing for me. That's uh that's Southern for it is not anything to me. <laughs> this isn't one of the stronger cuts on the album. I'll admit. Um, I do like it though. I, I love that the way that the it ain't nothing to me keeps coming in, and I like the instrumentation quite a bit. Um, it, you can you, so this was co-written by Dave Stewart, right? Or with Dave Stewart, you can. I think you can tell absolutely 
what parts are his and what parts are Tom Petty's. I yeah. think the chorus is definitely Tom Petty. I agree. Because it sounds nothing like the rest of the song, which yeah. to me, I would I, I, I had to flip I would have to flip a coin about whether I'd want to hear this song or someone scraping their fingers across a chalkboard. <laughs> well, I've got a question for you guys. Jam, you drive up to Colorado all the time. I do. And they have those they have those places for runaway trucks. Yep. You know what I'm talking about? Some of them. I do. The truck can get off the highway if its brakes aren't working. It can go up this steep hill until it stops. That's but they also have pass. the kind that um, it's like a huge tub of sand, and the semi can just turn into that and hit that sand and oh, come yeah, to that's a safe, slow stop. That's In my mind, pass. this you're coming off of Rebels. And then you're the truck. It's got all this momentum, and it's moving faster than light. And you drive into that deal filled with sand, and you just go, <laughs> and all the energy's it, gone. It, explain to me how Trailer is kept off of this album for this song. I have no idea. That, that is a, it's mind-boggling. And I don't want to get in the same thing that we got into when we talked about the Kinks album, about the songs that aren't on this. Right. But they, they kind of matter because, Yeah, Trailer's a good song. A, they're better and b they fit with the theme that was going on i mean this is the start of that kind of schizophrenic feel now granted i, I look i don't i'm not a musician so i don't understand what it's like to be playing the same type of music or for someone to pigeonhole you and say this is what you you're supposed to sound like and i imagine tom petty at this time was like i i'm so and so many albums into this i want to do something a little different plus he's you know fueled by cocaine, cocaine. Yeah. well <laughs> um, and then yeah, we don't know. You did a lot of research, but I don't know anything about pictures Dave Stewart may have had of Tom Petty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't see anything like that. But they mean, no. What what happened was when they write the song we're going to get to next, um, which was to to both of them such a, a a momentous moment. Yeah, they decided to keep doing it, and they wrote two other songs. One of them, I think, works better than the other one, the other one being this one, which I just don't... I mean, I, it would not hurt my feelings at all if this was ripped off this album and I never heard it again. Well, I... It's a probably the most complicated song that Petty has ever written. It's got key changes. Uh, it's got... It's um, got two a, different songs. It's, yeah, <laughs> it does. It's it well, does. it's got three different songs if you include that break that comes in the in the middle of it, which to me also sounds like a Tom Petty. The uh, guitar part, yeah. The guitar, you're right. Yeah, the yeah. the chorus and the guitar break to me sound like a Heartbreaker song. Yeah. The rest of it sounds like yeah. Dave Stewart saying, "Take another snort while I play this for you." <laughs> um, and he plays the bass and the guitar on it, and uh, and then that weird Ben Mott Tench piano solo at the very end of it. Yeah. I mean, but that. To me, I like that kind of stuff. I, I, well, again, so, and I, I don't want to begrudge Tom Petty for wanting to branch out and do something different. Um, I just don't think this works. And it would have been, I think if he had been clearer right. headed, he would have realized that maybe this was Well, I don't think choice. he's that. Yeah, he doesn't seem all that enamored with this with this song. But All right. Well, there's uh, two, two big thumbs down on that one. <laughs> and a thumb and sideways. We, one sideways, yeah. Then, then we go to the hit, and um, I think this is What's a, the name of the song? Uh, this song is called Don't Come Around Here Anymore. Uh, Jam and I have played this many times for shameful purposes. <laughs> Don't come around here no <laughs> more. Don't come around here no more. Don't come around here no more. Whatever you're looking for. 
No more? Did I say any? You did. Yeah. You're, you're speaking too good English. Yeah. Remember, this is Southern accent. <laughs> That's right. Sorry, folks. I reckon I just fouled that up. Anyway, up. This is this is a good song, and it doesn't fit on this album so, either. I, I have a question for the two of you. I love this song. This is, and this may not be something you can answer because we've talked a lot about hearing something over and over again to where it becomes. It becomes part of your subconscious where you can't really think about it clearly. Um, I like this song, too. And I agree with you, Doug. I don't think it fits on this album. I disagree. But would you, if you heard this for the first time, would you like this song? I did like it the first time I heard it. I, I remember hearing it. And that that's something, that's a, a universal thing about Tom Petty. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I... I can pick up his tune immediately. Yeah. Uh, almost every record I listen to, if you ask me if I like it, I will tell you, I don't know. I need to hear it 10 times. But um, with Tom Petty, his music comes fast, and I pick yeah. it up quickly. And I remember hearing that song for the first time, and I liked it right away. I mean, um, I, I it like may be it. one I like less the more I hear it than... Um, than the vice versa. I, I, I like the song a lot. Again, I heard it a bazillion times growing up. Um, and the video, of course, was uh, yeah, a masterpiece. I, just real quick, speaking of the video, there's a scene where uh, Tom Petty plays the Mad Hatter and he's cutting a slice of Alice. She's a cake on the table. Yeah. <laughs> and MTV told him, could you smile a little less when you're doing that? Because you look a little too sinister <laughs> for us to be playing this on the air. Um but uh, no, it's a good song. I just wonder in listening to it this go around. I was like, okay, is this a song that I would like as much as I do had I heard it for the first time, like modern day Tony, I guess. And I don't know. I think maybe I'm like you. I maybe like it less. The more, and and, and I don't know if it's because of the context of the album um, or what. But I, I it, this is one of my all time favorite Tom Petty songs. I think it fits perfectly on the album because it's got. Uh, that there's the the way that the synthesizers are used on it. Uh, on, it even that sitar that comes in. That's played what kind by of sitar David. is that? Electric. I think it's a a choral sitar. One of those. I don't uh -huh. think it's a real sitar. No, it's not. Um, it's one of those guitars where they've got the a multitude of strings on the uh -huh. top of, it and they uh, sound sympathetically when you're playing a different note or on your on the regular guitar. Um, um, <laughs> you know what? Petty, you know what Petty said about this song, though. But in, in an interview, he said that he, while he loves it, he thinks it's a great single. He really thinks it flawed the album, putting it on there because really? it because it pulled the album. It was the first kind of break away from that concept. And see, that's what I don't. I don't think it does. That's the thing that the guy is is prideful, and he's 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 still going with that character that you know. Don't come I, around here. I, you I, I'm not talking door. about the lyrics. Oh. The sound. I'm talking about the sound. On the sound, I can understand. Um, you yeah. can't get further from the old South than this. Sound. Well, you got you got. Um, there's you know female You're voices right. on it. It's uh, it I sounds mean, like you got a cello. Doing it does. It does. It does sound, sound like a rhythmic song. Sounds like sweet dreams. And again. Which is a great song. Sweet yeah. Dreams is a great song. But but that's such an... When I think of that, I think of Milan, not the South. You're I right. mean, it's just too yeah. urbane yeah. and polished. Yeah. This song was originally... We were mentioning this earlier, but mm -hmm. this was originally written for 
Stevie Nicks. Tom Petty did not. That. He oh, that's did, right. He and did he, not intend to put this on the album. That's right. And so what? That's I right. I forgot because he said when 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 he put the vocals down and they gave it to her, she's like, "What do you want me to do? I can't do better than that." Well, there's. I've heard two different versions of it, and I heard she just didn't show up. Yeah, what I heard was she was supposed to show up to sing it, and. It, Tom Pett, they were like, well, they, yeah. and they still had some mixing or something that they had to do. So th- she, apparently what happened, what I, what I even saw an interview with Stevie Nicks where she said it, she's the one who make vilifies herself more than anybody in this. She said that she w- walked into the studio and Tom Petty was laying down the vocals for it. And she got so angry that he was laying down the vocals that she just walked out and left. That's interesting. Cause what I'd read, I hadn't seen that. I'd read two different accounts where she said that when I heard his vocals, I couldn't do better than that. So I well, just that's said, what's Dave, yeah. Dave A. Stewart said that was she just a brief aside. Was she dating? She was dating Jimmy Iovine at this point, right? I think she was. Yeah. In fact, that's Jimmy Iovine was right. Really, really trying to, steer her career at that point yeah. too so well I, but i had forgot, forgotten that this so. was this was a, written for her and yeah, then that makes it, a lot of sense it, it does. does it absolutely does um I, I think tom petty's voice is good at being dismissive of somebody um yeah but this song is kind of schizophrenic on being dismissive it that you can tell that yeah he wants her away so that because he, he it's not strong enough to have her around sometimes yeah um yeah Anyway, that's the big hit. Uh, and then the next song is uh, Southern Accents. There's a Southern accent where I come from. The Indians call it country. The Yankees call And I don't think this one fits the album. At all. <laughs> no, that's, that's a little humor for everybody to get. This song is incredible. This is an this, this it, is an incredible song. It's a remarkably beautiful song. It's in my top five Tom Petty songs. Mine too. And um, it is just, it's perfect, and it's absolutely. And he he said in when he was writing it, his mom had just died. Yeah. So that's where the dream I keep having. Yeah, which is such a powerful, powerful image. image. In that song. He he wrote it late at night on yeah. the piano, and when he was done with it, he woke, woke his, up wife his wife up. up. And said, yeah, you got to hear this. <laughs> he knew. I mean, it, this is one of those things I think where when you're done with it, you're like, "What the hell did I just do?" Right. You know. Um, and, and he came up with that. It's got one of the greatest bridges ever. For just a minute there, I was dreaming. Yep. For just a minute there. She, it was also real for just a minute. She was standing next to me. I mean, then his his voice uh, oh, is so start to break than on it. it. Uh, yeah, how different is this from "Ain't Nothing to Me"? Yeah. Well, how and how great is that idea of using the 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 concept of a southern accent to explain this guy's worldview? Right, like everything right. is just colored. Whether it's somebody looking at me or looking out of my eyes, everything's colored with a southern accent. Right. I mean that it's brilliant. That um, he it, said it, it shows you what this album. It it shows you what they had in mind for the concept, I think. Yeah. 
And yeah. uh, well, and this is the song when when I was listening to it this time that made me realize the thing that's different about Tom Petty from Springsteen or Randy Newman or someone is this song is so personal in a way that I yeah. don't think either one of those guys. Exactly. Could, I, I you think know? you're right. There's no it, with Randy Newman. It's like I'm observe. I'm right. observing this guy with Tom Petty. This is a song where he actually gets into that guy. Yeah. And it's uh, it's it's incredible to me. Um, even that that line that the, the drunk tank in Atlanta, I read mm-hmm. that that. He, a friend of his was relaying that story to him and he goes, Oh, I know that guy. I'm going to, it's just a motel room to me. That is just, yeah, it's an incredible line. It's such a simple line, line, but such an incredible one. The, the other thing I want to say about it is the strings on this song. On a song like this, the strings could really be overdone and be saccharine and, and, and just syrupy. They work perfectly. Jack on Nietzsche song. really does some great string arrangements. He, he rarely overdoes it, I think. Um, I mean, they add an emotional depth. This song is this song's a masterpiece. It's no wonder he said it's one of his top three favorites things he ever did. Again, I just could imagine him being done with it and going, "Oh my, where did this come from? This is yeah. this is it." That bridge is worth a long, uh, you know. It, it's one of my favorite ballads of all time. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing song. Yeah, it's a vulnerable song. Mm-hmm. What what Tony said, this song could have been damaged so easily yeah. if somebody would have come in with a heavy hand mm-hmm. and so, the fact that they didn't is 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 a miracle or if if stewart had said hey why don't we make this weird noise yeah so one of the things that i and <laughs> thank this, god he didn't touch it <laughs> the last thing i'll say about it was i remember even the first time i heard this song um thinking my god couldn't petty make an album that's just sort of like this, kind of like a Neil Young's Harvest. Well, he kind of did later on. He kind of, yeah, Wildfires, Wildfires, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, but, yeah, I guess you could say that he kind of did. But I was just thinking more, just much more acoustic. And It brings up something that, and I know we we said we weren't going to talk about stuff before the podcast, but one of the things Doug and I were talking about, which I think this song kind of fits into that discussion, is why was Petty sort of, considered or i mean not considered makes it makes it sound like it was intentional petty's never really talked about until after probably after he died talked about in on that same level as a whole lot of other songwriters he's like second tier for some reason yeah, yeah. and i don't understand that he had one successful album after another it's obvious the guy knows his way around a song his lyrics are not their lyrics are great he, um, he never has to apologize for something he right. has done no yeah yeah. It's and, just, and he's so consistent. That's the I thing. Know. I wonder if that's the issue. Is that because he's so consistent there, I, that there's not this 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 ebb and flow where people yeah. are like, oh my god, this is so much better than the last thing he did. It's just this consistency. And, that, and nobody has done fewer. I mean, nobody has done more with fewer chords than Tom that's, Petty. That's the essence. I don't know how to describe this, but Tom Petty. Tom Petty always takes a small number of chords. And makes it sound like a song that has been around for thirty years. Yeah, and the, it, there's there's something about when he chooses to change chords. Right. That's it's very interesting. I don't think I understand it, but uh, he never follows a, a a pattern that's predictable. And yeah. but it's not shocking when it happens. It sounds perfectly reasonable. I, I don't know what it is, but you, you're exactly right, J.M. It's 
Yeah. One other thing that uh, I noticed about Tom Petty is he doesn't have uh, many dogs on his album. No. He usually has two or three hits, but not many dogs. And I think of somebody who's uh, on on maybe a same level like uh, Bob Seger. Bob Seger will write some amazing, wonderful tunes, and he'll make uh, half of a great album. Right. And then there's the other half of the album. You don't know what to to do. It's with like John it. Mellencamp too. Uh, yeah. John, yeah, John Mellencamp's another one that does that. Uh, some songs that you're just crazy about. And I, I, I was racking my brain trying to find. I went all the way through the Bob Seger uh, uh, albums, and I couldn't find one that was strong enough all the way through for us to to cover. But with Tom Petty. Uh, you yeah, could, we could do anyone. <laughs> you can do almost anything he's ever done. Yeah. So uh, I, I do think he's underrated for sure. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, we get to flip over now. And uh, well, just as we always say, what an amazing way to end a side. Yeah. Too. It is, I'm surprised it didn't end the album, really. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't that the way the album I think is also album. good. Yeah. Yep. Uh, absolutely. So we're going to flip over and go to East Street. <laughs> this song is Good. called uh make it better forget about me all the heartbreakers are very dismissive of this song. If you've ever read any interviews about it, um, and Dave A. Stewart, David A. Stewart was very fired up about it um, because he thought it sounded like like a Stax uh, horn section that was on it, and he he just really wanted to to get that. So I guess if you're going in that southern vein, yeah, maybe this does sort of fit on the album, but it's weird. I love the guitar riff on it. I think it's it, it does sound like kind of a Sam and Dave type guitar riff. Um, I think it's a little overproduced. It's and at, that's one of the things I don't like about, especially some of the later Eurythmic stuff. It just sounds a little too crisp, but a little too polished. And I think that's what this song suffers from. I really wish it would had been more like rocking around with you kind of sounding. Um, just a little more, a little less polished. I think it could have dealt with that. This is a fun song, but I got a question. Do we need Tom Petty doing it? I think it's fine. Uh, I I like this song a lot. I know you like this song. This is right up your alley. But my question is, does he need to? Do does it? he need to be doing it? I mean, uh, I can see Southside I think doing it. Makes, it. <laughs> I. It sounds to me like side one of the Wild and Innocent and East Street Shuffle, either Kitty's Back or uh, yeah. most of all the East Street Shuffle, especially the beginning with all the funky things going on. Yeah. Um, I think it does. I, th- I think it's it's fun. I enjoy it. it. Is I a, like it is hearing a, it. it is and a, it doesn't fit on this album. It's a joyful <laughs> song. It's fun. I mean, I get all of that stuff. When you said Southside singing this, again, I don't know if it fits Petty's voice in a way it would somebody else. That's not to say it's bad. I I like listening to this song when I hear when I hear if it. If you're suggesting yeah. that somebody with a uh, R and B voice cover this tune, 
I think that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just, yeah, uh, I can almost see Mavis has, Staples or somebody doing it. We, you know? we, we've, we've asked that before when we've heard something that sounds like somebody else, and we're like, you know, we've this is not this this person's strength. Oh and yeah. Again, I get Petty's trying to stretch his wings. He wants to do some other things. I understand that. I commend him for that. I just think that. Again, I like this song. Yeah. Uh, you might oh, even I say I love this song. I, I it's a fun song. song. It just seems, um, it just seems out of place. Al Green, Al Green, if you're listening, cover this song. <laughs> the the thing I would say is, uh, it's a, it's a very good tune, and I think Petty might get you, beat at it. And you know what? <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah. You know what I it reminds right. me of? I mean, not anywhere near this level but it's like elvis costello recording that blue uh, almost blue album yeah. where yeah. he stretches his wings he does a country album and it just doesn't work doesn't we work. don't need elvis costello singing country songs we don't yeah. need tom petty singing memphis you know soul Stacks, songs yeah um anyway it's yeah. just it's my opinion he does do some maybe the blues brothers will cover it in a movie <laughs> <laughs> you know he does do some sam and dave songs uh in his live uh, every now and then that are that are usually pretty pretty I, good. I, I don't want to knock I I really do like this song a lot. Yeah. I just think in the context no, of what we're talking I about it just saying yeah. I, I I like it like the way he's doing it, but now I'm completely distracted trying to figure out who should cover it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know it was all done live too in the studio. Is that that's right? impressive. Yeah. That's impressive that. as hell. Yeah. yeah. That sounds it's a nice uh it's a nice production uh if they did that in a one it's got day. yeah it's got that bridge is kind of uh weird yeah um, it, it sounds like someone else's band it does it's pretty pretty, pretty good, good stuff yep all right um up next we have uh a song i like a lot really uh, i do too i'm surprised i like it a lot but i know why i like it a lot why well, I'm gonna I'm gonna hear what Jam says since it's his, his record. It's the song is Spike, by the way. I'm not good at that part. Uh, <laughs> I frequently forget to tell who we're talking about and what song we're on. Okay, so this song, I did not like it at first, but the song continues to grow on me, and I think the reason why it's growing on me is because it goes to the character that he is really... It does fit the rest. Yeah, it fits the guy that is like, oh, look, here's this punk rocker he must be from the you know must be a yankee um you know another badass another troublemaker you know P petty talks about this character the guy with the collar being some motorcycle guy going into a bar yeah yeah i mean i know but it's just it's, 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 the guy is just I, he he's looking know for that a fight he has a motorcycle yeah i <sighs> the dog collar on and it's like hey we got a dog and even when he says that he he goes away from the mic. Hey boys, we got a guy with a dog collar. On. Um, I um, you I'm know, scared. Ain't you boys scared? You know, um, there are other things that can grow on you that you got to go see a doctor and have them excised. Uh, Jam. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this song. I I knew Tony would. I like didn't this think song. Tony would like the song. Either. I was positive he wouldn't. But why is that? Well, 
Um, I'm going to tell you why I like it so much. Okay. And I think I can do both answer both those questions right. at once. Please do. This is somebody giving somebody the business in one of the most it's one of the best jobs of ridiculing someone I have ever heard in my life. <laughs> um, and Tom Petty's voice is perfect. It is perfect. For this. Uh, it's no surprise he gets acting roles. He is tearing this punk up. And I'm. It's it's all the evil inside of me is enjoying watching this little punk get made fun of for all the things he should be made fun of. And I think you don't have that part of you, Tony, that enjoys it. And that may be why you're having trouble. I, I don't have a problem with the lyrics or the, the the reason for the song. I just think it's not very tuneful. Well, and I don't think that's really the point. It, to I, me, it's just, it's a guy relaying. He's but if I'm listening to music, in. I want to enjoy the music I'm listening to. And I don't enjoy listening to this song, well, you know? I, I think it's working so well at what it's doing. I, I get that. I, I mean, I get what the point of this. And then Mike Campbell doing that to... slide guitar part on it is just—it's—it's it's so slight. Dri- again, yeah. it's that. I just I can't it's think of another sarcastic. song. Um, it, I can't think of another song where I can think of some things that Steve Miller does when he's when he's talking about being a space cowboy. And, yeah, uh, right. and he's making he's making himself sound like he's all that and then he cracks up before he's through because mm-hmm. it's so he's so full of it. But uh he was able to do some of that that those things with his voice that make it sound like a character and it's real believable. This thing is just it's well done, but it's not you're not going to go dance to it. Um right. You're not going to play it for your sweetheart when you're out on a date. Mm-hmm. But it is it's a gorgeous example of just completely humiliating somebody. Yeah, and I'm always. And I don't think Tom Petty I was the guy doing it. it. I yeah. think he's watching it probably. That's what think, I think. But do you think? Yeah. So going back to this this um, this idea from the first song from Rebels is this? It, I know you're saying you're enjoying this, but is Tom Petty making this? Is this supposed to be enjoyable, or is he? I think is he um, commenting on these guys who are kind of. You I know, think your he's typical closed minded and this guy rides up in a motorcycle. Exactly what I think. And he turns on his Mark Knopfler and he starts hearing those guys. And he probably thinks those guys are jerks and they're really funny. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that's can, a really good yeah, I think that's right. I, I you know, I always the the way that I always listened to this song was that Tom this was in Tom Petty's head. He saw this guy and he was just thinking this to himself and he was a punk and he, like Tom Petty was Yeah, he's too, probably been the victim of this. Yeah. Uh, I've been in there. Well, maybe I can say the same thing. Like, here's this guy. I've been made fun of all this. But it's, now it's, I'm starting to think I'm, yeah, I'm going with yeah, that. Like, like those guys in uh, in uh, Knopfler's tune. Yeah. Uh, the, what, what, am I tra- what song is that? Uh, uh, Money, Money for, for Nothing. Money for Nothing, yeah. He sitting there talking, oh, look at him playing those Hawaiian noises. Yeah. I mean, that's funny. And you might, you might really admire a guy that can, uh, run a line of dialogue like that. Yeah. And at the same time, think he's a reprehensible person. Yeah. And I I think that's probably where, uh, I would love to hear Tom Petty talk about this song. And he does, uh, he gives us some pretty, pretty lengthy introductions when he plays it live about, you know, it's, it's based on a real event. Well, yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah. 
Because well, we I saw him do it. We've got time. Tony down yeah. in the dumps now because we like that one so much. <laughs> no, that's fine. I mean, that's what we're all, we're all here to talk about. We're gonna we're lift like. your spirits up now, Tony. Dogs on the run. Yes, I love how the 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 dog uh, panting comes into the song from because it, it from Spike into this one. So I I I find it intriguing that you evoked Springsteen on the first song on this side because this song sounds like Petty doing Springsteen to me. This is this one of these big Springsteen that. songs, you know. Well, um, I think this sounds more like uh, Springsteen than Rebels. I I think when I, I think said. So no, I'm not talking Spring. about Rebels. I'm talking about... I said the first song on the side. I'm talking about... Um, oh, oh. Make It Better. Make it this better. is a different Springsteen. Yeah. Make It Better was just one album. Uh, one and this is more Born to Run beautiful. Springsteen? Yeah. Or this is more... Uh, River. Born to Run, maybe. <laughs> um, so This is my favorite song on the album. It's it's far. a great song. Um, it's It's... So, like I said, to me, it's Springsteen-y, and then it's got a, it's just slathered in a bird's jangle. I mean, it's got, it's, you could just close I your eyes and it. picture the Rickenbacker. <laughs> yep. Well, there's, there's the Rickenbacker, it's Campbell and Petty playing together again, make this great. And this is the other one where the organ comes in and says, you need some momentum, here's some juice for and you. The- and I tell you, thank God. Roy Bitten wasn't asked to play. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think the horns work really, really oh, well. Yeah. Too. I think it's the I best mean, it's, use of the horns. I agree, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yep. Um, this this song to me sounds like him talking about, "Hey, let's pack up and go to L.A. and uh, yeah. let's get there. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what we're doing. And then look at it. We're here. We've made it. We've done it. Yeah. And uh, just love." And it's it's like the most wall of sound song he's ever done too. You know, I, I, I it, this, you know, the beginning starts off and there, there's, there's the, the drop down parts and everything, but just when that whole, when the whole band kicks in with the horns and everything, I just, it's so powerful. I remember the first time I heard this just going, my God, this is, this is freaking incredible. The beginning, it sounds like Tom Petty doing his best imitation of Tom Petty. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. I, I have to admit, I, I stalled out on this song, working working through this album again. I uh, I had a couple of days where I had to hear it a couple of times in a row. I yeah. just, it's it's a song worth repeating. I did that. All right, that was Dogs on the Run that we were talking about. One of Tom Petty's greatest. I I need to say that he wrote that one with Mike Campbell. Uh, like most of his really good songs, they let him to team up. Up next is one of uh, Tony's favorites, uh, Mary's new car. Tony, that's your ringtone, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, and I have it. I have it in a constant loop going through my house. Now, I look. I don't. I don't dislike this song the way I do some other songs on this album, but I don't think it's a very strong song. It feels like a throwaway to me. It's uh, it's very lightweight. 
you know, just kind of a taught, let's toss this, this song off. I wish they had tossed it off because there are better songs they could have put on the album. Yeah. Um, but I didn't yeah, know you felt that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't hate it. I don't. Yeah, that's the best way I could describe it. I'm kind I of don't indifferent. Hate it. Yeah, this is the least produced song on the the whole album, and it kind of shows. Yeah. And um, it. I read that uh, Petty started. There's a, there's a thing called an OBX keyboard that has a uh, rhythm track on it. I mean, you can make rhythms with it, and that's where the the original rhythm that he created is part of this track. Um. And it goes through the, the whole song, but it's just—it's just not very interesting. It's not—it's just it, it doesn't. The perfect term. It yeah. is a not. It's not an interesting song. Maybe one of the least interesting. I, songs even the songs I don't like on this album, at least, are interesting to yeah. a certain extent. Right. I just like I said, it's kind of indifferent about this. Right. Song. I don't know what this song's for. Well, I don't know what you do with it. I'll tell you what you do with it if F-F. you're if you're BF good <laughs> if you're BF Goodrich. You ask Tom Petty uh, if he if they can use the song for a million dollars, and when Tom Petty says no, you write a thinly veiled version of the song and have Tom Petty sue you and lose the lawsuit. That's yeah. what you do with it, man. I oh, would Tom Petty won. Tom, Tom Petty won the lawsuit. B.F. Goodrich he, lost man, it. it. Just yeah, I don't mess with Tom that Petty. So fast. I would too. I would have absolutely no problem selling this song. No. I guess, but Tom Petty just like saying no. And, and you, as Jam said, you don't want to screw with Tom Petty. He's nope. he's pretty tenacious yeah. and and gets things. Uh, he's he, like a dog on a run. <laughs> <laughs> the best of everything. is a remarkable song and is also the song that started Tom Petty ruminating about what he could do on his next album. The Which hit, was? This album. Yeah. Um, this, start, this started him thinking about Southern accents because he was asked to do to record or provide a song for The King of Comedy, the Martin Scorsese film. And Robbie Robertson was, I guess, in charge of the soundtrack? Yeah, he was. he's always in charge of uh, Scorsese's... Uh, like he's the music supervisor. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah. He, uh, Scorsese did the band. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Last Waltz. Last Waltz. Yeah. The Last Waltz. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the story goes that they were recorded this album for hard promises and it didn't make the cut. And so Scorsese or uh, Robbie Robertson said, there's a movie coming out, um, by Scorsese called King of Comedy. And I'm just wondering if you've got any tunes for it and that, that are original, haven't been recorded yet. And he said, well, I've got this one. So he gave it to Robbie Robertson and who transformed it, who transformed it. He said he wouldn't even let Tom Petty wanted to come into the studio to actually listen to it and score. And Robbie Robertson was Which going, is kind no, of a big deal no. for Tom yeah, Petty for him it's to huge. say, I'm going to just trust Robbie Robertson to do this. Yeah. And then also at the back end of it to say, I agree with what he did to it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, but, uh, I think 
Tom Petty was a huge Richard Manuel fan right. from the from the band who's, who loved his voice and uh, so I think maybe that was explained he's on this song he's he on sings this harmony song. on this yes, song yes and he does a remarkable yeah job. and that's what kind of got him thinking about the southern I, the southern idea and I think it's yeah. because he just said you know the ba- I mean, we've talked about this before the band kind of embraced that whole southern even though they were Canadian time, yeah it's at that time where a lot of bands were embracing this sort of southern thing and Richard Manuel's voice evokes that yeah. and invoked it for Tom oh, it's Petty. Just so that pining yeah. sort of sound that he's got. So anyway, they um, produced it. It was ready to go for the uh, soundtrack for the King of Comedy, which is a great movie. By it the is way. a great movie. Um, but Warner Brothers oh, and MCA were in some sort of huge fight at the time. And they said, MCA said, no, there's no way you're going to get that song. So Tom Petty got it back. Yeah, because they didn't want... I think they didn't want to give it to another label was the big thing about it. Yeah. MCA sounds like a real piece of work. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it was a pretty unusual situation. And so the the album's pretty... I mean, the song is pretty old. And it's Ron Blair is actually the bass player. Oh, that's right. He is on it. And so... He's the the only song on this album he plays bass on. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know what's fascinating to me about this song is... It's recorded for the album before this. Mm-hmm. It's recorded before Tom Petty has this idea in his head, but somehow it fits that perfectly. idea perfectly. It does. That's what's remarkable about it. I think it is a great send-off for this album. Yeah. I, I, I am wrecked with a question that maybe you guys can help me with. Mm-hmm. I hear the horns come in mm-hmm. strong. Mm-hmm. And then I hear that lead guitar playing with the horns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it it is causing me to think of another band. I just can't think who that sounds like. Little Steven and the Disciples of Soul? This is the most Southside Johnny sounding thing <laughs> I have ever heard that was not on a Southside you know, Johnny is the first, album. This is the first Tom Petty song to ever have horns on it. I mean, Robbie Robertson yeah. put horns on this song. Yeah, and, and it made Tom Petty it go. It was like, oh, horns. horns of course, unfortunately, he didn't have Robbie Robertson to help the him. The rest with of the day. Yeah, he had, yeah. had Dave Stewart. but I did. Well, I, yeah. I And you, Jerry I Hay did, that, did the horn arrangements, who is a fantastic horn arranger, by the way. If, if you started it with the horns, and I didn't hear Southside come up, I would wonder who t- who took this song and put Tom Petty's voice on it. Uh, it <laughs> I, not not so much the structure of the song, but those horns with that guitar playing. Yeah, yeah. It sounds so much. Yeah, I like this song a lot. I think it's a great way to end the album. It is. Um, again, I'm just fa- I'm just fascinated by the fact that it embraces. It's it's so in, it's so into the concept that was not a concept at the time it's bizarre to me but um yeah it's 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 a really 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 great song yeah one of my all-time favorites well i think that's a really really good album yeah and uh i yeah i I was just gonna ask tony if he had something he'd like to say before we i just uh, wanted to briefly we briefly just glossed over the boys of summer I 
just think it's an interesting story. Yeah, it so is Mike, an interesting Mike story. Mike Campbell wrote, and I guess this is the way he normally worked. He would have a song almost completely, musically completely done. He'd bring it to Tom Petty if Tom Petty liked it. He'd add lyrics to it, maybe tweak it here or there. And he brought this instrumental piece to Tom Petty that he wanted to do, and Tom Petty didn't want to do yeah, it. Yeah, it was that he recorded it on like a four track, yeah. and it was that he did that synthesizer line yeah. in it. And and so he was touring with I think he was touring with Don Henley at the time and he played it for Don Henley and Don Henley's like, you know what, I I'd like to take that song. And so he went back to Tom Petty and said, Hey, Don Henley wants to take that song. Are you cool with it? And he's like, Sure. And he ends up being Boys of Summer, <laughs> which was a monster hit for Don Henley. Yeah, you'll hear Tom Petty to this day say, Yeah, I I, I missed I missed that one. He said he had an issue with I guess the version Mike Campbell did that uh the chorus was in a minor key and he thought and Tom Petty thought it should be in a major key. And so somebody <laughs> yeah. asked him later, did they fix that when they did it for boys of summer? And Tom Petty's like, yeah, they fixed it. Well, and another story about that song is, uh, they went in and recorded the whole song before Don Henley did his vocals. Yeah. And Don Henley came in between his, his tail between his legs and said, Hey guys, and they worked on it painstakingly. Right. And Don Henley said, I can't sing it in that key. Can you oh, raise it no. up? So they had to raise it up a step. and Speed uh, it up. Well, yeah. the, and the reason why we're talking about it is because <laughs> Mike, Campbell, Mike Campbell brought it to him for this album. Mm -hmm. That's why we're talking about it. So mm -hmm. I brought it for, to him for Southern Accents. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which it's probably would have worked. It's just interesting, you know, yeah. that... Um, I wonder got, if Tom Petty's ever covered it. I'd like to hear that. That would yeah. be interesting. It's not yeah. a bad song. No, it's a great song. I love it. And it's a crazy world where you got uh, Tom Petty singing a song that's supposed to be for Stevie Nicks, and then you got her boyfriend, uh, <laughs> one of her old boyfriends, singing a song that was supposed to be for Tom Petty. That's a weird, <laughs> wacky world we it's live a wacky in. World we live in. No wacky world we live in. Wacky world, this game is so easy. Yeah. That's what you get here. Whacking well, it. Ladies and gentlemen, that was a Jonathan J.M. Rowe pick, uh, our first uh, album to do on Tom Petty. It seems crazy that we're in 60-somethings, and we're just now getting to Tom Petty. But I'm going to go to um, Encyclopedia T uh -huh. and find out his review for this record. T? Yeah, Doug. On a scale from 1 to 10. You mean 1 to 5? Give us first your, uh, your is it one to five? Isn't it 1 to 5? On a scale from one to ten, cut in half twice, so you can do one for your personal and one for your uh, professional critic, cold-hearted orb. What would you say about this album? So, um, I'll be honest with you guys. I haven't listened to this album since we did it the first time, and I think that says a lot about it for me. <laughs> Um, that means you won't have to speculate on how much you'll listen to it in the future. Yeah, I look. There's some songs on this album that are remarkable. Southern Accents is one of one of just. It's just a fantastic song. Uh, Rebels is a great song. Um, you know, uh, there's three songs on this album I dislike. Um, there's one that I like but doesn't really fit for me. Um, so I, I'm going to give. I feel guilty doing this because I love Tom Petty. But I'm going to give it a three for my own personal review. 
You know, uh, he just, can't. He won't hear. I know it's just middle, middle, kind of middle of the road in terms of a Tom. There's other Tom Petty albums I'd listen to before I listen to this one. Um, in terms of a critic, I I kind of feel the same way. It's schizophrenic. It's kind of all over the place. I I feel like if I um if I were expecting a Tom Petty album as a critic and I'd heard this, I would have been a bit shocked by it. The playing on it is great. It just do, it doesn't gel to me in the way it it should. So I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it a three as well for that. All right, and that's with all that twelve string, jangly, uh, yeah, jangly Tony. Still, well, that's something else, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna hear from it from a few people. I'm sure. Man, you don't know what it's like to be in the South. That's why you don't. <laughs> Fort Worth ain't the South. That's, that's the where the West I, begins. Of course, I'm where the West begins. Yeah. Anyway, um. I'll go next since I'm not JM. Uh, I, I like Tom Petty a lot. And I also would say that this is not in my top Tom Petty albums. Uh, but I do I do think there are some pieces of this album that are very good. And then there are some that I commented upon that I think don't need to be on any Tom Petty record. Uh, it's it's a it's a strange combination. Some of his best work and some of his uh, most boring things put together on the same album. Um, I'm I'm going to personally I'm going to give it a four two point three four point two point three two decimal points in that one. Sounds like he just did a ski jump. Mm-hmm. Um, and. As a critic, I, th- I think it's a four, uh, and it's easy to see where you uh, would d- you'd make some deletions and put some other songs on, and you'd be up to trailer, a five before trailer, you know it. Trailer, trailer, trailer. Yeah, I think Tony likes that trailer song. Um, anyway, that's for me. And now we're going to go to Jonathan J.M. Rowe and find out what the picker says. All right. So I'm going to go with my critic rating first, my cold, hard critic rating. Um, I'm going to give it a four or five as a critic. I think this is not Tom Petty's best album. I think there are two better than this one, but... I think this, despite where the band was at this time, despite the uh, multitude of producers, the bringing in of David A. Stewart, hit maker, um, I think it really succeeds. I think it's one of the most successful things that when Tom Petty tried to branch out, I think he really kind of knocked it out of the park with this one. Um and it's got some of his most memorable tunes on it. And I do think Southern Accents um, may be a song for the ages. So I agree um, with that. Uh, so that's my critic rating. My my personal rating, I'm going to give it a 4.8. This album hit me um, more than probably any other Tom Petty album has. 
Again, I think that Damn the Torpedoes is a superior album. I think it's got better songs on it. I think that Hard Promises has better songs on it. I think Wildflowers has better songs on it. But the direction that the... I, I just find this album his most interesting album. And I, the way, the direction that he was going, I'm glad he didn't continue in this direction because I don't think he could have maintained it. Um, but... I really do like the way that he pulled off a lot of these songs. I don't think you would have had Southern accents on during the, um, you know, damn the torpedoes era or the hard promises era. You know, those, those albums are very self-contained and I'm so glad that he did this because we did get to see him stretch his wings a little bit. I don't know that it holds up cohesively, but at the same time, I don't, I can't really see where it really, really falters as far as its overall sound, its overall sheen. So I think it's a, a one of his best albums in in the canon. So uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a four eight. Jim, thank you for that. I enjoyed listening to uh, that album quite a bit. Getting ready, I unlike Tony did listen to it a bunch. Getting ready for this one, and enjoyed. The daylight's out of it. It's one of those I've forgotten about. You know, usually at this time, uh, when we're reviewing an album that was uh, put out before everybody was born, we go to Tony and we say, Tony, what are the kids listening to these days? Well, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something we've done a couple of times before. I'm not going to talk or recommend an album. I'm going to recommend, because Tom Petty is a singularly interesting person, and his career is interesting. I am going to recommend a book about Tom Petty, just called Petty, written by Warren Zanes, who, by the way, was the guitarist for the Del Fuegos. Um, It's a fantastic book. I've really enjoyed reading it. And Tom Petty's a fascinating guy. And I think probably one of the most, he seems to be one of the most um, ethical is not, maybe not the right word, but I'm looking for the right word. Principled. Principled. Thank you, Doug. That's a principled guys in the music industry. And, and, and that in and of itself is worth celebrating. So this book is really great. We'll have a link to it on the, on the website, but I really recommend if, if you like Tom Petty and you haven't read it, picking it up. It's a great book. I I have read it. Um, And it's, it's sad that we're talking about another guy that passed away too early. Uh, fairly recently yeah Yeah. he was my pick of all of the traveling wheelberries to be the last to go and i was wrong the last to go the the one i thought would be the first to go is still there (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's 80 around is he yeah dylan's 80 years old he's older than my mom yeah how old is he's 81 how old is jeff lynn he looks the same as his first album. Yeah. He does. He does. <laughs> that's hair dye for he you. Looks like he's with that's hair dye. Still. That's <laughs> hair dye and mirrored sunglasses. <laughs> that's a secret. We should have yeah, all picked it up should've. back when we could have. Yeah. And a perm. All right. Well, thank you there, Tony. So that's it for this episode of This Is Final Tap. Please look us up on your favorite podcasting platforms. Let your friends know about us. And we would be interested in you guys uh, leaving us a review, leaving us some stars. Uh, let us know what you think. We're also on Twitter at Tapping Vinyl. And we are also available through email at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. 
And for the best of everything, look us up on our webpage, tappingvinyl.com. You'll find all sorts of good stuff up there, and you can leave us reviews. You can uh, make suggestions. You can get in touch with us up there. And you have links to all of our past episodes and all sorts of good stuff related to episodes that we've done in the past. Next week, we'll be looking at one of the greatest albums, I think, made in the early 80s by a person that has done so much for rock and roll music, the former rhythm guitarist for the E Street Band, and now current rhythm guitarist for the E Street Band, Little Steven and the Disciples of Soul, their album, Men Without Women. host Doug Cooper, our co-host Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. And remember, we're living like dogs on the run.